you would, remain standing for the reading of God's word and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We continue looking at the promise of Christmas. Uh, We're talking about a promise shared this morning, a promise shared. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end. Of the age. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So, over the last month, we have studied a particular promise that we find in God's holy word, and that is the promise of hope. That the Lord created everything, and it was very good. All things were made by him, and all things were made for him. But things did not stay good. This perfect world that God made was lost. Eve believed Satan and not God. Adam listened to Eve. He did not listen to the Lord. And the result was that sin entered the world. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So when this happened, when sin entered the world, the Lord, however, was not silent. He called out to Adam, and eventually he gave a promise. When all was lost, Adam and Eve no longer ran to God, they hid from God. Adam and Eve, they were no longer like God, they were more like Satan. But God would have been completely holy, God would have been completely just to destroy Adam and Eve. But instead, the Lord, in his great love, he gave a promise Physical and spiritual death reigned, but God gave a promise. That promise was Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So we find in Genesis 3, verse 15, the first gospel, the proto-evangelion. This promise is the promise of a Messiah. This promise is a promise of Jesus Christ being victorious over sin, death, and the enemy. This was a promise of hope. A promise was given by God in the Old Testament. A promise of the Messiah. The promise comes in the New Testament. The birth of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ fulfills the promise given in 3.15 of Genesis with his life, his death, and his resurrection. In Romans 5, beginning in verse 17, we find... For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul went on to tell the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Later on he said, The first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So death reigns through Adam. Righteousness reigns through the one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the better and greater Adam, for Jesus is fully man and fully God without sin. That Christ alone justifies the sinner. So justification. Justification is a divine act whereby God makes humans who are sinful and therefore worthy of condemnation acceptable before a God who is holy and righteous. So we are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That Christ alone saves sinners. Christ alone removes the sin of a person, expiation. That Christ appeases the wrath of God, propitiation. That it is the blood of Christ that justifies and allows one to stand with confidence before the Lord. By God's grace we are saved. He gives the sinner the faith to believe. And that person will repent of their sins and trust in Christ for their salvation. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There is salvation in no other name, and by his name, we must be saved, or we are not saved. Hebrews 10 is clear. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So Jesus Christ, his act of righteousness is our justification. His obedience justifies the sinner who repents and believes. That Jesus sits because his sacrifice was once and for all. That no repetition is needed. Jesus sits But he is still working. He is interceding for his children. Jesus sits and waits for all who resist him, who resist the gracious, redemptive purposes of God to be placed under his feet. That Christ has accomplished his mission. He now awaits his his final triumph that will happen. That he is still saving and he is still sanctifying sinners to this day. But the Lord's church is still growing and is going to continue to grow until he returns. The fact that the promise of hope given by God has been fulfilled and this promise has been entrusted to his church to share. That we are ambassadors sent by God to carry the promise to the world. In Matthew 28 it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Christ has come, and he is coming back. And as we live on this earth, as his children, we are to worship him. Worship is to define our lives as the children of God. The question is, who or what are we worshipping? 
We are always worshiping someone or something, but we are to worship Jesus Christ. You know, the Lord created Adam and Eve to worship him. And when the fall occurred, humanity was born wicked and separated from God. Christ came and atoned for sin, and Christ calls the church to share the good news so that others will worship him. That's why missions exist. Missions exist because the worship of the one true living God does not. So in Matthew 28, you have the 11 disciples and others with Jesus on a mountain in Galilee worshiping him. Many believe that 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6 describes a scene that we have here in Matthew 28. It says, Any appear to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some had fallen asleep. So this appearance of the resurrected Christ at this Galilee mountain was extremely significant. Jesus directed his disciples to this mountain. Jesus meets with them there, and they worship him. Verse 17, And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So many worshipped Jesus when they saw him on this mountain, but some doubted. This verse shows that even the appearance of the resurrected Christ in his glorified body did not cause all to worship him. Some doubted. Many saw the resurrected Lord and Savior, their resurrected friend, and they worshipped him. They honored and adored him in that place at that time. They did what they should have been doing his entire earthly ministry. They worshipped him. They were no longer running from him. Jesus stood there in his glorified body. He was completely victorious. The spotless lamb that was led to the slaughter was alive and he was being worshipped. There was no more trials. There was no more treachery. No more humiliation. No more persecution. They saw him and they worshipped him. They worshipped Jesus Christ Son of God. Listen to these words by John MacArthur that help us understand worship. Worship is deliberate. It is purposeful. It is active. It involves not just the thought process and not merely the emotions, but the whole being as well. The life of a true worshiper is a joyous, vibrant life, a life of actively seeking to glorify God in practical ways. So this crowd on the Galilee mountain, they gathered and they worshipped Jesus. They worshipped him rightly. It was not lip service only. Their hearts understood who he was. They didn't just stand around and talk amongst themselves. They saw him and they worshipped him. The questions that they had all asked before, who is this who speaks with authority? Who is the greatest Who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Who is this who even forgives sin? They had all been answered. They sat there. On that mountain, they worshiped Jesus. They knew exactly who he was. That he was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He was a promised Messiah. He was the one who had been beaten and crucified. The one who had died and was buried. The one who had risen from the dead. He was standing before them. The fact that Jesus is God. They were worshiping him. They stood in the presence of God and they worshiped him properly. Their worship was acceptable. It was not strange fire. They worshiped him rightly in their heart. They worshiped him 
They worship the one who is worthy. They worship the righteous one. They worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They worship the Lamb of God who takes away the sin in the world. They worship Jesus, but some doubted, some hesitated. Look at verse 18. So they were worshiping the Lord, and Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So as Jesus was being worshipped, he declared that all authority, all power in heaven, all power on earth has been given to him. That Jesus is Lord of all in the highest sense. That Jesus is divine. That Jesus is absolutely sovereign over all things. That Jesus Christ is supreme. Philippians 2.5 helps us understand. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Paul was not declaring here that Jesus was ever unworthy of the title Lord. He has always been worthy, for he has always been God. Paul is declaring that the obedience of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, reveals more clearly that Jesus indeed is worthy to be Lord of all. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, Jehovah is salvation. Christ, the anointed one. So Jesus is a Messiah, or Jesus is the anointed one, and he is Lord. His title is that of authority. His title is of divine and supreme authority. So if we go back to 1 Corinthians 15 that we looked at earlier, it says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then in his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him and put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So the reign of Jesus Christ is eternal. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit eternally reign over all. And this crowd stood on a mountain before the Son, Jesus Christ, who held all authority in heaven and on earth. And as they were worshiping him, some were not. They doubted, and he began to teach. In Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, we find the words of Christ with one central command. The command, this command that he gave was obeyed by the disciples. This command that he gave was obeyed by the early church. This command is been obeyed in every single generation, even our generation, and we are to obey this command as well. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Because Jesus is divine, because Jesus is Lord, because he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, we are to obey. The imperative here is make disciples. 
This is a command. This is the main emphasis. You are commanded by the Lord to go and to make disciples. Now, Jesus is sovereign over all. This is the foundation. He has supreme rule and legal authority over the entire universe. This is what we must remember. When he is telling us to go and make disciples, Jesus is sovereign over all. That is the foundation in which we must remember when we are called by him to go and to make disciples. Because as created beings, our creator has commanded us as his children to make disciples. In Matthew 4, verse 19, he said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. So God's children, the Lord's church, is to make disciples. In other words, we preach and teach the good news of Jesus Christ so that disciples can be made. Disciples of Jesus. If you will, turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Let's look at verses 13 through 17 together. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. Um, If we are called to make disciples, let us be reminded of how disciples are made. It says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So the Lord in his sovereignty has appointed that souls are saved through the preaching and teaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. The Lord in his sovereignty uses his children to save others. That we are the means and he is sovereign over the means as well as the ends. So how will people hear his church? Who will preach and teach the word of God? His church. Who has sent his church? Who commands his church? Jesus Christ who rules over all the universe. So the church of the living God is to go and to make disciples. This is not a suggestion for us. This is not an opinion given to us by man. This is a command of God given to his church, whom he purchased by his blood. We are to make disciples. This is not the great suggestion, the great opinion, or the great option. This is the great commission given to the church. Commission, that is the act of entrusting a person or group with authority. So the one who has divine authority has given his church authority to go and make disciples. The Lord of all the universe has entrusted his church with authority to make disciples. So the church has been entrusted with the gospel and given the authority to make disciples. The one who has all authority over the entire universe has given us the authority to make disciples. You know what this means? This means as the body of Christ, as the church, as members who've been saved by God's grace, our platform to go and preach the gospel, our platform to go and share the good news of Christ with others is the authority of God. That's the platform. 
So we are to go and to make disciples on the basis of the unlimited authority of God. We are to make disciples. We don't make converts. We make disciples. We make learners, followers of Jesus, which means we don't just tell people about Jesus. We don't assume that they believe the same thing that we believe about Jesus. We tell them about Christ, and we call them to repent and believe in Christ alone for their salvation. We call them to place their trust in Christ and follow him by abiding in his, in his word and joyfully obeying his commands. Longman third said, disciples are those who hear, understand, and obey Jesus' teaching. Daniel Dornai, in his commentary, said, to make disciples is to lead new believers to maturity. So they understand and follow Jesus and eventually become leaders too. By making disciples, the church stays strong over the generations. So we don't just want people to know that Jesus is Lord. We want people to worship him as Lord. We want to picture those people that were on that mountain in Galilee worshiping the Lord. And what do we want? We want the exact same thing to happen in the lives of those we know. We want followers of Jesus, not fans. That one believes through the preaching of God's word. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we preach and we teach the word of God. And God will save whom he wills. For he is sovereign over all the universe. And when God is sovereign over all the universe, that means he is sovereign over salvation. But the church needs to remember and the church needs to be told often that we have been called by him to make disciples for him. This imperative is amplified with three participle phrases by going, by teaching, and by baptizing. So the command to make disciples is done by going, by teaching, and by baptizing. Let's look at go. We are commanded to make disciples not just where we are, but by going. Please understand this. We cannot limit what God has called us to do because we are so comfortable where we are. We are commanded to make disciples not just where we are, but by going. We are to go to who? All people, every tribe, every tongue, every language, every people. The gospel is good news for all, every reached and every unreached people group. John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So Jesus came and did the Father's will. And while we are here as his pilgrims, we are to do his will. And his will is for us to go. We are to go and make disciples, not sit and wait for the world to come to us. We don't change the words go and make to come and see what we're doing. And our greatest motivation is going is that Jesus is sovereign over all. Jesus has authority over all. All includes us, and we are commanded to go. So Jesus commands us to go to the nations, and when a disciple is made by God, we are to baptize them. Baptize, the command given is for us as the church to make disciples, and when a disciple is made by the Lord, we baptize them. It says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So when the gospel is preached, when a disciple is made, when the Lord saves a person, we, the church, are to baptize them. Baptize comes from the Greek word, baptizo. 
means to be dipped or submerged in water. It's an outward picture of being born again. A picture of being spiritually dead when one is underneath the water like you bury someone who has died. And then when raised, it's a picture of the new birth. Being spiritually alive, having one's sins completely covered by the blood of Christ as the person is covered with water. An outward picture of being united to Christ. So the physical act of being completely covered with water, combined with the picture of Christ's blood completely covering our sins, is extremely beautiful and comforting, isn't it? Like each time a person is baptized... They're completely drenched. They're completely soaked. It's a reminder that all of our sins in the past have been paid for. All the sins that we're continuing to commit in the present and to struggle with, they are covered. And everything that we have yet to do against a holy God that is wrong and is selfish and prideful, it is already covered. There's not an area in which the sacrifice of Christ, the atonement of Christ does not cover. It completely covers. The sacrifice was once for all, meaning nothing else is needed. He fully drank the cup. And what was in the cup? The wrath of God. It was completely drunk. So we are to make disciples. We are to go. We are to baptize We baptize the individual, the one who believes in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We baptize them in the name of our triune God. You identify the person with everything that God is. It's God in three persons, yet one essence, Father, Spirit, Son. To be baptized is a command of God to the believer and a command given to the church. So we make disciples, we go, we baptize, and we teach It says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the church is to make disciples. This involves going, baptizing, and teaching. We're to teach disciples to obey everything that Jesus said, for this is what disciples are to do. It's like as a father, when a father speaks to his son, and says, son, I do not want you to do this. I want my son to listen to everything that I just told him. I want my son to know what he's talking, what I'm talking about. I want my son to know what he is to do and what he is not to do. So we teach everything that the Lord has commanded us to obey. We want others to obey everything that God has said. We teach disciples to obey everything that Jesus said, for this is what disciples are to do. Disciples don't come to God and pick and choose what they want to obey. Disciples come to God and they fully submit themselves to the Lord because he has all power, he has all authority, he is sovereign over all the universe, and we are here to do his will. So teaching is always needed. Teach them to keep God's word. Teach them to guard God's word. Teach them to obey God's word. Teach them the commands of God. Go and we give them the word of God. We don't have to wonder. So when we go to every tribe, tongue, and language, what do we do when we get there? We open up the word of God and we say, thus saith the Lord. You want a strategy? That's your strategy. Take the word of God with you. Teach them the word, word by word. This is what the Lord has said. I don't speak as one who says, I have authority as a 
man who has been made in the image of God, I have authority to come in and teach you this is what the one true living God has said. You see, disciples are saved by God's grace, and now, in his grace, they can obey, and they will obey. So we need to teach the word. The church is to make disciples. We go, we baptize, and we teach all that Christ has commanded. We teach the whole counsel of God. Over this last month, the verse that has really probably impacted me the most personally has been Luke 6, verse 46. It says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? How often I have done that. When I come before the Lord, I know what I am to do. I know what I've been called to do. And I call him Lord with my mouth, but in my heart, I don't do what I have been told to do. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and it could not shake it because it had been, been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So there's people who hear and they do not do what the Lord has instructed. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those who love God keep his commandments. James informs us that we are deceived if we think that we are just to hear the word of God and not do it. In James 1, it says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So imagine this. Imagine you're on that mountain in Galilee. They're seeing their resurrected Savior. There are some in the crowd that doubted. Imagine that there's 500 plus people there. But they worshiped him. And as they were worshiping him, Jesus speaks up and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So as believers, do we doubt that the resurrected Lord has given us that command? Do we truly believe that we can love the Lord and not do what he says we are called to do as his children? We are to make disciples. This is a command given by Jesus who holds all authority. Jesus is king. We are his children, his servants, his slaves. We are to go, we are to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're to teach, and we teach them to observe all that the Lord has commanded. We cover the whole counsel of God, and we leave nothing out. But it's hard to teach the whole counsel of God when we as God's children are unwilling to obey the whole counsel of God. So we just don't teach God's word. We model the fact that we as his children, we are going to commit to say, this is what the Lord has said. Therefore, I am also going to live this way. So we cover the whole council. We leave nothing out. 
And the end of verse 20, and it's so encouraging. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So when we make disciples, when we go, when we baptize, when we teach, we are not alone. The Lord is with us. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are at work. They are always working. The Father's will is being accomplished. The Spirit is in us, conforming us more into the image of Christ, guiding us into all truth, convicting us of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. The Son is interceding for us. He is coming back. The divine presence of God is always with his children. Emmanuel, God with us, this is true. You know, the book of Matthew begins with and ends with Emmanuel. Matthew 1, verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 28, verse 20, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus Christ is with us, and during it all, he is with us. His divine presence is with us. The hills and the valleys, he is with us. This is a great comfort, saint. It is not just when things are going great that the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us all the time. That means every valley that we're in, every slump that we're in, every struggle that we're in, every sickness, every surgery, the Lord is with us. And because the Lord is with us, he has divinely appointed those things to happen for our good as his children because we know who he is. See, the book of Matthew begins with and ends with Emmanuel. Jesus Christ is with us during it all. The king, the priest, the shepherd, our savior, our friend, he is with us. David understood this. Psalm 23, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down on green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. See, the go, the baptize, the teach, this is all to be done in his power. As his children, we rely upon him, but we rely upon him for all things. So as we go, as we teach, as we proclaim, as we baptize, we are relying upon the Lord. As his children, we rely upon him for all things. We trust him. We go to him in prayer. We are reminded that we are weak and wounded creatures whom the Lord has saved by his grace, called us to him, and we are dependent fully upon him. He is with us. For the command above, make disciples, is to be done by us. He is with us and he will accomplish his good purposes. Praise God that he allows us to be involved he uses us as his children as mouthpieces of the telling of the good news for salvation to come. That the Lord's kingdom is growing and it will one day be finished and it will forever stand. That every single soul whom the Lord died for on Calvary will be redeemed. 
that nothing will go undone, that everything will be completely finished. There is nothing that can stand in his way. Satan, the enemy, cannot stand in his way. Man cannot stand in his way. He's going to accomplish his perfect good will. Lord's kingdom is growing and it will be finished. So let us make sure today that as his children, we are seeking him and we are obeying his commands. Let us call him Lord, Lord, and do what he tells us to do. Let's put down our excuses. Let's put down our comfort. Let's set aside our lukewarmness and rest in Christ and obey his good commands. Let us make sure that as his people, we are worshiping him. For he alone is worthy. Those men on that Galilee mountain, they understood that. Let us understand that as well. Father, we thank you for your holy word. Father, as your people who have been redeemed by your blood. Father, wherever we are today, whatever we have planned for today, Lord, I pray that we would rightly worship you. You are worthy of our worship and praise. Lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, you are worthy of it all. Father, for the redeemed in here, we, we pause and we say thank you for saving us. We don't deserve it. You've been so gracious and merciful. Father, for the lost that are in here, for the lost who are listening, Lord, convict them of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Lord, draw them to you for your name and for your glory. Lord, and if that happens, may we, as your church, teach them to observe all that you have commanded. Give us eyes to see those that are around us. Give us the boldness and the strength to go. And as we go, may we be fully dependent upon you. Because as you promised, your kingdom is being built. You are going to make disciples. Father, thank you for your power, your holiness, and your goodness. Father, may we continue to worship you this day. It's in Christ's name we pray.